Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Good morning. And isn't our health team awesome? How about a round of applause for all those who do serve on that? Wow. Okay, if you want to get involved, don't miss that opportunity. So I want to say hi to everybody here who's live. Hi to everybody who's watching online. We're so glad you've chosen to worship with us today. And I want to begin this morning with an attempt to help you recapture a particular feeling. Because it's this intense emotion that sort of sets the groundwork for Paul's comments to the Thessalonians in our passage today. And so allow me just to lay out several scenarios for you. And then depending on the season of life that you are in, I think that most of you will be able to identify with this emotion. First of all, have you ever left a job that you worked at for a long time, you built a lot of friendships there, and and you had to say goodbye to those business associates you worked closely with for years? And if so, do you remember what that going away party felt like? Do you remember what it felt like if you were a teen at a youth camp and on the last day you had to say goodbye to that boyfriend, that girlfriend you fell deeply in love with while singing Kumbaya by the campfire? You remember that? Have you ever walked with your little five-year-old child to the bus stop for the first day of kindergarten and watched that bus drive away? Ever dropped your son or daughter off on a college campus and driven away with a lump in your throat? Ever stared at the face of a loved one one last time before they closed the casket? Well, that's the emotion the Apostle Paul reflects upon in our passage today. And it's, it's an intense emotion. It's the pain and the sorrow that accompanies separation. And it's an emotion you can only experience when you truly love and care deeply about somebody. And so today, we're going to see Paul's passion for people. And as we do, we're going to identify some of the signs that we are passionately committed to others. Because if you want to be a game changer in this life, you'll need to cultivate a passion for people. So I want you to listen now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 17. Paul says, But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, In person, not in thought. Out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did, again and again, but Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. 
But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. So Paul, he he writes this letter to the Thessalonians to encourage them to stand strong for the Lord in the face of persecution. And he wants them to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he loves them and he has a passionate commitment to their well-being. And so the first thing I want us to explore today is simply this. What are the signs of passionate commitment? How do we know if we're truly committed to someone, if we're loving them as we love ourselves? Well, the first indication of passionate commitment is longing. It's longing. Look at verse 17. But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. You If you're committed to someone, you'll have this intense longing to be with them, just as Paul did. Paul wanted the fellowship of the Thessalonians. In fact, that term there, torn away, it's the Greek word orphanizo. We get our word orphan from this word. And back then, it could refer to either a parentless child or a childless parent. See, Paul felt as though he had been orphaned. He was their spiritual father. He had brought them up in the faith, and he longed to remain there with them. But for whatever reason, he couldn't return. Most likely, it was the threat of certain death if he came back to that city. Have you ever been separated from someone you love and experienced that intense longing to be with them? If so, you know how painful that can be. For some people, when they can't be with their loved ones, either because of death or or distance, it can be so painful sometimes they don't feel like they can go on. It's that hard. Well, Paul sure wanted to visit his friends in Thessalonica. That term, intense longing, is about as strong a phrase as there is in the Greek. You see, for Paul, it wasn't out of sight, out of mind. For Paul, it was absence makes the heart grow fonder. He longed, he yearned to be with the people of Thessalonica. You know, I thought about this. I remember when I was living out in L.A. and I was uh, dating Wendy, who was still living in Houston. I mean, we would rack up massive long-distance phone bills. I mean, we're talking like hundreds of dollars. That was back in the day when you had to pay for long distance. And we would write multiple letters to each other, sometimes in a single day. Why? Because we were passionately committed to each other. We were in love, right? Okay. I know. Oh, yeah. And then when I was living in Denton, we were engaged. So I'm up in Denton attending University of North Texas. She's in Waco attending Baylor University. And, I mean, we would every single week, every weekend for an entire year, one of us would make the road trip to be with each other, right? Whatever it took. And I can remember there were Sunday nights like at midnight when I would take off from Waco knowing I'd be cruising into Denton with just a couple hours to sleep before my Monday morning classes. And do you think I ever once regretted doing that? Actually, yes. Yes, I did. (laughs) Uh, Just a quick aside. Yeah, there was one weekend when (laughs) Wendy had found a stray male cat and somehow convinced me to adopt the cat and take it back to Denton with me. (laughs) Now, y'all know how much I love cats, right? (laughs) This cat was extra special. He just tried to, 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 to spray his scent all over my car on the drive back to Denton. Yeah, true story. It's the one time I thought this relationship isn't going to make it. There's no way. 
But seriously, for Wendy and I, there was no price too high to pay to see each other week after week after week. That's the kind of intense longing that Paul's describing here. And, and it proved his love. It proved his commitment to them. I mean, his desire was to be with them. And if it wasn't for the resistance of a power stronger than he was beyond his ability to control Satan, he would have been. But you know what? It didn't stop Paul from trying, did it? And that leads us to the second sign of passionate commitment, persistence. Persistence in spite of resistance. Paul was not going to allow the setbacks to stop him from trying to visit his friends. Verse 17, we made every effort to see you. Verse 18, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. Then in chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again. And may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. Despite the spiritual warfare, Paul was going to press ahead. He was going to try every way he knew how to see his beloved friends. His motto was, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. You know, I think sometimes when it comes to spiritual life, we think if we're doing something for God, it should just always work out. Right? If it's God's will and I'm in God's will and I'm doing it for him, it should just work out smoothly. And I hate to break this to you, but in case you hadn't figured it out, sometimes the surprise of ministry is that you can have the greatest faith and you can pray the greatest prayers, but it doesn't always happen the way I want it to happen, the way you want it to happen. I mean, there are times when you decide you're going to minister to a family member or a member of your small group where you have to try and try and try again. And sometimes it's not the first try or the 10th try or the 20th try. Sometimes it's the 50th try before it ever works out. And guess what? Sometimes it never works out the way we think it should. It never works out the way we hope it would. Sometimes, as Paul said here, Satan stops us. In verse 18, for we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did, again and again, but Satan stopped us. That term stopped in the Greek here, and kopto, it means to cut into. It was used in the military sense about breaking through the enemy's line. And it was used of an athlete who would cut in front of someone else in a race. It means to impede the progress of another by cutting off his course. That's exactly what Satan tries to do. Whenever you're stopped in ministry by opposition, by persecution, by temptation, who do you think is behind that? Oftentimes, Satan is behind that. And if you don't catch anything else today, please hear this. Satan will stop you. Okay, there will be times in ministry when he throws up a barrier. He doesn't want you to succeed in ministry. He's going to try to put up barrier after barrier after barrier. He will stop you. But here's the good news. Satan cannot stop God. Amen? Yeah, he can stop us for a moment or two. But he can't stop God from accomplishing his purpose in this world. That's good news. But folks, never forget the fact that spiritual warfare is real. It surrounds us at all times, okay? It's a very, very real thing. And I think some Christians, they, they do walk around with this thought that Satan and his legions of dark angels, his demons, they, they can only attack or, or affect unbelievers who are dabbling in the occult. Okay? Nothing could be further from the truth of scriptures. 
And I don't have time this morning to delve into a complete study about spiritual warfare, but since it is a key part of this passage, let me just remind you from the scriptures of the many ways that spiritual warfare affects us as Christians. And let me begin with this. First of all, you need to know if you are a believer in Jesus and you're walking in the light, you're walking in God's will, you don't have to be afraid of the enemy. Not at all. Your salvation as a believer in Jesus is totally assured. And as you walk in obedience to Christ, okay, you're, you're protected from the enemy. But that doesn't mean we're immune to his attacks. So listen, first of all, to Ephesians 6, 10 to 12, where Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. And that's why when people were getting in Paul's way of returning to Thessalonica, he knew who was really behind that plot to keep him out. It was those spiritual forces of darkness. And I want to just ask you this morning, do you ever think about that in your life? Does, does that thought ever cross your mind? You ever considered that? That your real enemy is not those individuals standing in your way. It's not those who espouse ideologies that differ from your worldview. It's not those on the opposite side of the political aisle. It's not those whose morality may somehow offend you. Now, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. And people are often just pawns of the evil one. Right? They're duped into believing his lies, following the ways of this world. And the solution is for us to protect ourselves by staying in God's will and praying against the evil one, praying against him. Now, here's another interesting passage. Look at Ephesians 4, 26 to 27. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Why? It says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. According to this passage, anger can give Satan a foothold in your life. You say, well, what does that word foothold mean? I'm glad you asked, okay? In the Greek, it's the word topos. It literally means land or territory. We get our word topography from that term. In the military, it meant a beachhead. Paul's saying, don't give the enemy a beachhead. Don't give him a place in your life. Now, if it wasn't possible for Satan to gain ground in a Christian's life, why would Paul warn against it? He wouldn't. And in case you're wondering, did, did Paul know what it was like personally to be directly attacked by the enemy? Absolutely. Listen to this verse. This is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 and 9. And here Paul is talking about how God kept him humble in spite of the great visions he had of heaven. And he said this, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. See, that term messenger there in the Greek, angelos, angel. Paul was saying that this angel of Satan, this dark angel, tormented him. And by the way, the most natural literal translation of verse 8 is this. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take him away from me. Now, since Paul linked the thorn in the flesh with the angel of Satan, a lot of translations just throw in it there. But the natural rendering is him. 
I mean, make no mistake about it. Behind this thorn in the flesh, it was an angel of Satan. There was a link there. Now, I know what you might be thinking. Okay, why would God allow demons to somehow in any way attack or affect believers? It's a good question. You ready for the answer? I have no idea, okay? I really don't. But I would say this, why does God allow suffering and affliction to enter into our lives? Probably a lot of different reasons, and in each case, it's different. But God does allow us to experience spiritual attack. There are dozens of passages of Scripture that speak about spiritual warfare surrounding believers. Why God does it, I don't know. But he wants us to be aware of it so we can put our guard up and pray against it. In fact, speaking to the leadership of the church, Peter warns them to be self-controlled and alert. He says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Now, as I wrap this little spiritual aside up, let me give a disclaimer here. We do believe in spiritual warfare. We take spiritual warfare seriously in our church, but we also don't go to an extreme to think that there's like a demon behind every bush, okay? I mean, we recognize that we got enough struggles with our own flesh, the temptations of the world. Satan doesn't have to do a whole lot to cause us to stumble. And we certainly don't live in fear of the enemy. We walk in obedience to Christ, and we don't have to live in fear. Satan can only go so far, and the Lord controls that as well. So what is our response supposed to be in this whole realm of spiritual warfare? Just like Paul's. Just like Paul. What did Paul do? He prayed and he pressed on. And he remembered that Satan can stop us, but Satan cannot stop God. All right, so Paul shows us that passionate commitment to others is demonstrated through longing and persistence. And as we wrap up our passage today, Paul gives us one amazing blessing that flows out of being passionately committed to people. And it's simply this, pleasant memories. Pleasant memories. Look at verse 6 here. It says, but Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. That one blessing of pouring your life into another person is the great memories that you share together. And for Paul to receive word through Timothy that they were feeling the same way about him as he felt about them, that must have pumped him up. That must have filled his heart with joy. And what a great feeling it is when someone lets you know, hey, those people think so much of you back there. Or when someone lets you know, hey, everybody sure misses you. Isn't that an awesome feeling? Never had that feeling, but I've heard it's a great feeling, okay? <laughs> yeah. When I left my last church to let them know God was calling me somewhere else, the congregation stood up and sang, what a friend we have in Jesus. But I, I don't get that, but, you know, not really. <clears throat> there may have been some applause when I walked away, though. I don't know. Now, actually, for me, I thought back on this, and one of the toughest memories of my life. One of the toughest moves I ever made was when I left a position in youth ministry. I was serving full-time at this church, and I knew God was calling me to go to seminary. And man, I had developed some deep, deep bonds with these students, with these adults, and it was a tough, tough party. Plenty of tears were shed. 
But as I reflect on it now, over the years, we've kind of kept in touch. You know, social media is awesome that way. You can get back in touch with people. And they're like, now they're in their 40s. Like They have kids, they've grown kids practically. They're making me feel ancient. But we still keep in touch. And if you think about it, isn't it great when you can get back together with old friends, kind of reminisce about the good old days? And because of those shared memories, you really, if you think about it, you just pick your friendship up right where it left off, don't you? See, pleasant memories are one of the incredible blessings of being passionately committed to somebody else. And let me just say this. It really doesn't matter at the end of the day if you're more introverted or you're more extroverted. If you're more task-oriented, you're more people-oriented. Because the deepest cry of your soul, the deepest cry of your heart is still relational. God created us for relationship. In fact, from the very beginning, God said, it's not good for mankind to be alone. It's not good for any of you in here to be alone. And I'll tell you this, when it's all said and done, the only thing that's going to last are the souls of men and women. Let me close with this thought. Where are you in this whole realm of being passionately committed to people? Are you where Paul was? Do you have an intense longing to minister to them to the point where you're willing to be persistent in pursuing relationships? And have you ever had that joy, that experience of those pleasant memories that you get in that kind of relationship? If not, I tell you, you don't know what you're missing. You really don't. I mean, you can be a believer and still miss out on so many blessings in the Christian life. In fact, I think most Christians miss out on God's best for them. But Jesus was so, so clear about what's most important in this world, in this life. Love God passionately with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love people passionately. Love them like you love yourself. That's the best you can do in this world. And that's how you become a real game changer. You know, one of the most popular aquarium fish is the shark. And I don't know if you know this or not, but if you catch a baby shark and keep it in confinement, it'll stay at a size proportionate to the aquarium. And so there are literally six-inch sharks that are fully matured. But if you let them out into the ocean, they can grow to their normal size of eight feet or more. And I got to thinking about this, and I thought, man, there are so many Christians like that. I mean, I have seen the cutest little six-inch Christian swimming around in a puddle. I'm just going to get out there, man. If you could get into a greater arena, you could be so much greater. Now, I can say pretty confidently, just based on personality alone, what I know about personalities, the Apostle Paul was way more of a task-oriented person than a relational person. But when you read this passage, whew, I mean, he speaks with the most intense longing for these people because he felt it deep in his soul. Paul was willing to swim out deep into the ocean of relational connectedness. And he enjoyed the fullness of the Christian life. And you can too. You can too. If you, like Paul, catch his passion for people. Folks, that's how you become a real game changer in this world. Let's pray. Lord, I'm blown away by this particular passage of Scripture. Because I know Paul, I know how driven he was, I know how task-oriented he was, and, and yet his heart 
just comes out here in an amazing way. And, and I want to love people like Paul loved people. I want to love people like you love people. I want to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want to love my neighbor as myself. And I pray that for all my brothers and sisters in here, that we would have that kind of intense longing and that we would persist. We would not give up in pursuing relationships. Because I know when, when it's all said and done, that what we're going to enjoy are those pleasant memories, those shared memories. And nothing brought Paul greater joy than that. And that will bring us joy not only in this life, but for all eternity. So God, the calling is here. It's very clear what we need to do. The challenge is by the power of your Holy Spirit for us to do it. So we ask that you give us strength. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, as we close today, first of all, I want to say a word to all you introverts in here, okay? I know that this message may be especially tough for you, but just start somewhere. Just take some baby steps moving forward. And then all of you extroverts who think you got this down, okay? Want me to tell you your problem? <laughs> your problem is a lot of times you can have a lot of acquaintances, but you're not really going deep. So that's your challenge in applying this passage. So as you leave today, take this to heart, go and run with it, and we'll see you next week. Have a great one.